Four, or you can follow along at the screen. And um, while you're turning there, can I say thank you to everyone? This week we were able to send a check for $1,500 to Peru. And thank God for that. And it was an incredible opportunity to hear from Pastor Jean's wife, Kim. She said, Philip, she said, last week we had no money in the account. We had things that had to be done. And Jean says, we're going to just step out in faith and we're just going to keep doing the work. And she says, then when we went back, we saw that there was enough money to cover everything that we needed to do. Isn't that fantastic? So thank you for your giving in that. And we just want to give more and more. How many are ready to give more and more to missions and to touch? people's lives and uh, and we just encourage that. So 1 Samuel chapter 4 beginning with verse 1 we're going to actually read through verse 22. So read with me today and it says and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and they encamped beside Ebenezer and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed that day about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people had come to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes amongst us, it would save us from the hand of our enemies. Verse 4. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Now, when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does this sound of a great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us, who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become the servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. Verse 10, So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. And every man fled to his tent. There was a great slaughter 
and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also the ark of God was captured and the two sons of Eli, Hophani and Phinehas had died. Then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came the same day and came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. Now when he came, there was Eli sitting on the seat by the wayside, watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. And when Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, What does the sound of this turmoil mean? And the man came quickly and told Eli. Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. Then the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle and I have fled today from the battle line. And he says, what has happened, my son? So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines and there has been a great slaughter amongst the people. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. Then it happened, when he made mention of the ark of God, that Eli Eli fell off his seat backwards by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy, and he judged Israel, or he had judged Israel for forty years. Now here's the passage that I want us to get to today. Verse 19. Now his daughter-in-law, Phoenix's wife, was with child, due to deliver. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured, and her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth, for her labor pains came upon her. And about the same time, or about the time of her death, the woman who stood by her, one translation or the thought is a midwife. Someone was there that had been brought in to assist her and given birth. The woman said to her, Do not fear, for you have born a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. In other words, she did not pay attention to what was being said. Why? Because she was dead. She had died in giving birth to her son. Verse 21, then she, I want you to see something right here. Then she, this is an unnamed individual. It's not a parent of the child. It's not even, as the Bible tells us, it's not even a family member of the child. The Bible doesn't even say it was a friend or an acquaintance of the child but an unnamed individual, then she named the child. I want to tell you today, don't let the world name your kids. Don't let the world name your kids. She named the child Ichabod, saying, the glory has departed from Israel. Because the ark of God, that which represented the presence of God, that's what you've got to understand. The reason they wanted the ark of God there was because on top of the ark, a wooden box, there was two cherubim that their wings would stretch and touch. And in between those cherubim was what was called the mercy seat. 
The mercy seat was where God's presence would come down. When they were in the wilderness, there was a cloud that led them of fire by night and a cloud or a pillar of dust that led them by day. That cloud resided over the mercy seat. It symbolized the presence of the almighty God. She said, because the ark of God, the presence of God has been lost. Because it has been captured and because her father-in-law and her husband were dead. The New Living Translation says this. She named him because the ark of God had been captured. It was gone. And because her husband and father were dead. Listen to me. Someone else named her child. Because God and family were gone. God and family were absent. Don't let the world name your kids. In verse 22, and she says, The glory has departed for Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. I read a lot of that story today because I wanted to bring you up to pretty much where we're at in this passage of Scripture. In fact, in Samuel chapter 3, And if you would read in verse 1, it says that the word of God was rare in those days. To be honest with you, God's presence had been gone way before this particular day. If you were to read, you would understand that the children of Israel were in sin. They were in rebellion against God. They weren't following His commandments. They were not living according to His word. And as a result of the sin... It had shut the heavens from God being able to communicate with His people. God's desire has always been to talk to mankind. God's desire has always been to have a personal, intimate relationship with us. But because of sin, the Bible says, that's a separating factor that will separate man from God. The one who was supposed to lead them, Eli, was the priest. The Bible says that he was allowing his two sons to do very ungodly things, to abuse their position as the priest and as the leader and the future leaders of the nation. Eli knew what they were doing, but he did nothing against it. He refused to address the sin, and that's why God had to look for another. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, we see God came and he called Samuel. He called Samuel. And that's a whole other message right there. But a little boy that was given by his mother to serve the priest. So the children of Israel are in a bad place. They're going out to fight the Philistines as we just read. They suffer a defeat. So the solution is they grab the ark of God like it's a magic wand. Expecting, if we can just get the ark there, then it's going to win the day. But they did not realize that God was not with them. They didn't realize that God's spirit was no longer there. And as we read on, the next day, 30,000 men were killed. There was a horrific battle. There was a horrific defeat and to sum it up or to make it all worse, the very presence or that which symbolized the presence of God, the ark of God was taken. It was a sad day for Israel. 
But it was a sad day that I believe had begun many days before. The reason I'm painting a picture like this today is because I believe today we are living in a sad day. But I'm here to tell you today, all is not lost. There's still hope in God. But we must, as children of God, as parents, as leaders in our home, we must turn our homes and our families back to the way that God instructs us to be. We can't live like hell and expect the rewards of heaven. Come on, we can't live how we want to and expect it to have no effect upon our children and what they see and what they do in their lives. We just saw a video that sums up most parenting today. Do as I say, but not as I do. We can't be like that no longer. Come on, we cannot live like that because if we continue to live like that, the world will name our kids. I don't know about you, but I don't want the world to give a name to my kids. Come on, there's, I, I need a better amen than that in the house. I don't want the world to name my kids. It's doing everything it can to steal their identity, to steal their heart, to take from them. But we need some parents that are going to stand up and not be absent in the call that God has placed upon them and said, listen, you ain't going to name my kids. If you had noticed the name of our church, the name of our church is not by accident. Heartsease Family Life Church. There's a reason we have added the family life part because we believe that paints a picture and describes the culture that we are trying to define here. We believe we are a church and we want to be a church that has life for the whole family. Come on, we believe in family here. Come on, why do we believe in family? Because God instituted family. God gave family. And when we say he instituted, it means he purposed and he designed it. And one of Satan's greatest attacks today is to destroy the family unit in the homes of every one of our lives. It's not only important to God family. Family is the very heart of God. And I'm going to say this, and his definition of family is a man and a wife joined together having children, nothing less. Come on, I don't care what the president or whoever may stand up and say, it's not what they say that counts, it's what God says that needs to count in our lives. Come on, that's what we need to live by. Same-sex marriage is an abomination to God. And you know what they're saying today? Yes, we can. I'm telling you, no, you can't. Because God's word says you can't. Don't let the world name your kids. I want to explain that today. Back in Bible times, a name had great significance for a child. Names had great significance and meaning for a child. It wasn't like it is right now. Oh, we're pregnant. We're going to have a baby. Well, let's go on to nameourchild.com, all lowercase, and let's see what's the most popular names out there. It's not a case of, well, I like that name and I like that name, but I can't pick which one. So I tell you what, let's just throw them together and we'll make us a new one. But that's where we're at today. It's what do you like for a name? What do you think it should be? And we go by that which is popular and that which we think is appealing to us. But in Bible times, 
a name was almost a spiritual thing that was given to a parent. That a parent would pray, that a parent would receive almost a spiritual instruction for God, that they would name their child in the way that they believed that God was going to take that child, the life that they were going to live, what they were going to do with their life. So listen to me. A child's life pretty much followed its name. You've got to hear that. The life of the child pretty much followed its name. It was still the parent's responsibility to nurture and train that child to lead them in that way. Now, some names in the Bible were pretty tough for kids to live with. I mean, take Jacob, for instance. Jacob means deceiver. Come on, that wouldn't be the top of the list for a new job. Huh? Let's hire that deceiver. He looks like he'd be a good one for a job. And thank God, God visited him face to face, remember? And God changed his name to Israel. Now prince with God. There's another name in the Bible that's probably not the greatest to have, and that was the name of Jabez. The name Jabez meant pain, or even greater than that, it meant he will inflict pain. Anyone who comes in contact with, he's going to bring pain wherever he goes. Come on, I don't think he was the most popular kid and voted for president of the school class. Can I hear an amen? Well, what's your name? Pain? I'm going to cause you pain. Well, hey, pain, go and find someone else to be a pain for. So it wasn't the best. They had to live with that name. But then perhaps maybe one of the worst names that we read of in the Bible was the name Ichabod. Ichabod, which meant God had departed. All hope is gone. That's what I want you to hear today. They were saying God is gone. There's now no hope for our lives. All hope is gone. Imagine for the rest of your life walking and people hearing there's no hope. There's no hope because of the name. Come on, the world gave its name. Listen to me. Because of the disobedience of the parents, Phineas and his wife. Because of them not being in the place that God had purposed them to be. Neither of them were present to give the name for their child. And therefore the world gave its name to their offspring. Unfortunately the same can be said so many times. Over and over again today. Many children's lives today are defined not by their parents' input and guidance, but by others. Today, there's too much absent parenthood. Today, there is too much deferred parenting. You know what deferred parenting is? Relying on other people to, to do the responsibility that God has given to you. Relying on grandparents and aunts and uncles and others to raise kids that God didn't give them to them. God gave them to you to raise, to instill, to give them the truth. And that must be a thinking of the past because we need parents to get involved. Come on, don't let anyone else name your kids. Here's what I want you to think when I say don't let them name your kids. Don't let anyone else define the life of your child. Don't let anyone else lay the pathway for the, the, the way that your child is to go. Because the world is waiting to name your kid. 
Come on, they didn't have to call out that day and say, who's going to give a name? There was someone right there ready to give a name. The world is jumping. What did the Bible say that God said to Cain after he killed his brother Abel? He said, you better watch because sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is to take you. Come on, its desire is to have you. But you can come over that. Sin is waiting at the doors of our house. And unfortunately, it's not even at the doors anymore. It's in our house. It's infiltrated its way in. But we cannot let the world name our kids. I want to give you some key points today to being a parent. And notice I didn't say being a mother or father because you're a mother or a father because you birth a child. But you're a parent, not by right. You're a parent because of stepping up and doing something. Come on, we've got a lot of mothers and fathers out there that have children, but we don't have enough parents in the house. We need some people that are going to stand up and say, hey, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Doesn't matter what anyone else is doing, we're going to live by God's word. Doesn't matter what's the most popular thing at school. Doesn't matter what's the most popular clothes that other people are wearing. You ain't going to wear that. You ain't going to be defined by the world. The world's not going to name my family. So I want to talk to you today, if I could. I'm going to give you five key points today. Point number one, guidance. Guidance. Are you really leading your children and your family? What example are you giving to those around you? Proverbs 22 and verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. New Living Translation says, Teach your children to choose the right path. And when they are older, they will remain upon it. It's not just saying, in other words, it's doing. It's guiding them with your life. I wish I had more time, but we're quick to jump into Proverbs 22, verse 6. But we really need to spend more time reading 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, the verses that comes before that. Because if you were to look at it, you begin to read and understand that the first part of the chapter is not dealing with how parents deal with their kids, but it's talking about how parents need to deal with their lives. What they need to do in their life. It begins by saying a parent needs to choose a good reputation over riches. Come on, how many times do we sell our soul to the devil through finance and all these kind of things? The Bible says we need to have a good reputation over riches. And I wish I had more time to preach it, but it says we need to have high esteem. That means we need to have values that we live by. It goes on to say we need to be prudent. It says that we need to see dangers, that we take precautions, that we protect before trouble comes. Simply, God he talks about how that if we go blindly, that we're going to suffer consequences in our hearts. God goes on to say as parents, we need to have humility and we need to have the fear of God. The fear of God could be summed up like this, respect for His ways and walking in obedience to that. We need to have honor in our lives. And as a result of all these things, blessings and long life will come as we make 
the right choices, that we're not deceitful. These are all things that's listed in Proverbs 22, 1 through 5. And then it says, and notice it says, and then teach your children. Teach your children. First in you, then in your children. Not what I say, but what I say and do. I love how the Bible paints a picture of training up your child in the way he or she should go. Train up a child. A train runs on tracks. Train up a child. Lay the tracks for your child. Lay the proper tracks of guidance and counsel and wisdom that your child will go along. A train cannot run unless it's on track. Come on, we need to set the course for the lives of our children. That means what? First in our lives, then as we live out their lives. We need as parents to recognize the giftings and the callings that God has placed upon our children. We need to train them in those. We need to nurture those. At school, your children one day will have what they call a guidance counselor. That guidance counselor sits down with your child. They take a test. They find out what their interests are, what they want to be. And as a result of what they get on that test, they sit down with a counselor. And a counselor says, I see that you want to be in the medical field. I see you want to do this or that. Well, here are the courses for the rest of your schooling career that you need to take. I wonder how many guidance counselors know more about our kids than what we do. I wonder how many guidance counselors know more strengths about our children and what they want to be in life than what we've bothered to find out and ask them. We've got to lay the tracks for their lives. Here's how we lay the tracks. We give them good godly morals. Come on, we've got to give them morals. We've got to give them guidelines. Don't just tell your children, don't do that. Try and instruct them why we don't do that. And don't just tell your children, do that, without also telling them why we do that. And you may say, Pastor P, well, what's the importance of telling them? Well, I'm going to break it to you gently, parents, and here's the reason why. You're not going to be able to make every decision for them for the rest of their lives. While they're there and they're young, you can make the decisions and the choices for their lives. But as they get older, they're going to start making their own decisions and choices. And if they don't know the whys and the ifs of what they are doing, guess what? They're going to say, well, mom and dad's not here anymore. Let me just experiment. Let me just look. Let me just see. A little bit's not going to harm myself. But when you teach them the reasons why, when you train them up in the way they will go when they are older, come on, when they are older, when they are older, they won't depart from it. That's God's promise for us as parents. Lead by example. Come on, D-L-T-W-N-Y-K. Don't let the world name your kids. Just thought I was rapping there, didn't you, Trey? Don't be afraid to talk to your children about your experiences of life. Be open with them about the wrong mistakes you've made and the consequences that you have faced as a result of those things. We're talking about guidance today. Be a role model. Be a teacher for your kids. Come on, if you're wrong, if you've disciplined your kids wrong, if you've reacted wrong, be the first one to throw your hand in the air and go back to them and say, I'm sorry, I did wrong. Would you please forgive me? 
It's perhaps one of the hardest things to do as a parent, isn't it? To admit that you are wrong. But they learn from that. They see this. And I'm going to throw something else out there. The greatest guidance that you can give your kids to is the way you treat your spouse. The way you treat each other. You know, our kids always laugh about the fact that they call it child abuse when they see me and Kelly kissing each other in front of them. And I said, hey, if this is abuse, then we're doing all right in this home. Come on, let the kids see the interaction, the affection, the love that you have, the respect that you have for each other. Let them see those things in the home. Let them hear those things. Come on, teach them. Guys, teach your sons how to be a gentleman and open the door for ladies. And don't barge in through a doorway. And when they come out of an elevator, put their hand around to open the door. When a lady walks in, to stand up and to politely respect them, to look at people in the eye. Guidance, guidance, guidance. Because if you don't guide them, the world will. Come on, don't let the the world name your kids. Ladies, teach your daughters to be a Proverbs 31 lady. Teach them to be women of virtue. Teach them to be dignified. Teach them that their body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Teach them to honor God in everything they do and everything that they are. Because if you don't, the world sure will educate. If you don't believe me, go and find any magazine right now and open up a few pages and the world's got everything out there how your daughter and your family should look. Come on, the world's not to dress your kids, to name your kids, to give your kids anything. Come on, it's our responsibility as parents to give our kids a name, a name, a name. Guidance, number two, discipline. Correct them. Correct them. In certain states and certain areas now, they've taken that out. That If a parent disciplines its child, their child in a public place, they can be charged for it. Well, can I tell you what the Bible says? Proverbs 13, verse 24. Listen to this. He who spares the rod hates his son. That's strong words right there. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him, notice this, disciplines him promptly. That word can be early. There is no substitute while they're young to discipline and treat your kids. Start them off right. Train their lives. Discipline could be said is the other side of teaching. What do I mean by that? Come on, we don't always have a teachable spirit. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You don't have to treat a, teach a child to say no. You don't have to treat or teach a kid to lie. They just know all of that. There's a sin nature that's inside of them. There's not always a teachable spirit that a child sits down and says, Mommy, Daddy, whatever you tell me, I'm going to do exactly. Yeah, I want to see that too, Stephen. And they may say that, but they don't mean it. They don't mean it. They may not always have a teachable spirit, but at times they may enter into willful disobedience, rebellion, stubbornness, and or foolishness. Behavior of that nature causes problems with effective teaching and disrupts harmony in the family and it must be dealt with. And aren't you glad that God has an answer to everything that we face in life? God says, and this is his answer, God's answer is firm and loving discipline. Firm and loving discipline. I am the man I am today because of my dad's left hand. 
That was what, outside of God, that was what I feared the most growing up as a child. My mum had the wooden spoon. That didn't faze me too much. But the words, just wait till your dad got home, I was about to die. Just wait till your dad goes home. I was begging for the wooden spoon, but it didn't work. Didn't work. Anything, please. Anything. But please understand this. At no time should discipline be physical abuse. No time should discipline be physical abuse. Discipline is not beating your child. Discipline is not beating your child, but discipline is defining your child. Discipline at times may be painful. Remember the saying that your mum and dad used to use, this hurts me more than you? Come on, they were kind of lying, weren't they? Because it's a different hurt. How many knows it was a different hurt? How they felt inside wasn't how you felt on the outside. Do I hear an amen or an oh my, help us Jesus. It's going to hurt me more than you. No. Different hurt, different hurt, different hurt. But you know what? To discipline your children, it is going to be painful at times, but never injurious. We are never to inflict harm on a child. But when we discipline them, when we correct them, we are preparing them. This is what I've said to my kids many times. The reason I'm doing this is because you're not going to live up to do those things. You're not going to grow up doing those things. You're not going to treat other people like that. You ain't going to speak to them like that. You're not going to, I want people to respect you because you respect them. Come on, we say things like that because what are we doing? We're defining them. We're naming our kids. We're giving them a name. The Bible says a name is something that is valued and should be regarded as something that is great. We're giving them something that can be chosen over great riches. A good name. A good name. Proverbs 19 verse 18 says, Chasten your son while there is hope. And do not set your heart on his destruction. Children think they know what's best. But parents, we know. And God has given... I've said this many times. I thought God gave me parents to make my life miserable on this earth. But I can honestly tell you now, my parents are some of the best friends I have. I talk to my mum and dad every day. There's going to be a time where you're going to become friends. But until that time, your first responsibility is to be a parent. That means they're not always going to like you. Come on, they're not always going to like you. Our kids have gone to bed many nights probably not liking us. But you know what? They wake up the next day maybe still not liking us, but they're growing to like us more and more. I want my kids to like me, but you know what? If they're going to be not like me but grow up to be godly people, I'll take that every day of the book. I'm going to say this too. There's so much I could say and I've got to move on really quickly. But parents, you must be on the same page too when it comes to discipline. If you're not on the same page when it comes to discipline, two things are going to happen. Number one, it ain't going to work. And number two, it's going to cause problems in your marriage. Because there's nothing that can divide a home than when parents begin to fight with each other and over they discipline their children. I'm telling you, we need to discipline our kids. You know what? When I, when I grew up, there wasn't such a thing as time out. That may work for you, but listen, hey, yeah, we had time out in our room after we had our backsides whooped. <laughs> then we went to room. Time out, time out. Just telling you right now, be in 
harmony when a discipline comes. And do not pull your child away from a husband or mother when they're disciplining and starts crying and screaming for them. Because I'm telling you right now, you hate your child if you do that. You hate your child if you do that. I could give you testimony after testimony of people I know who grew up with me that had no discipline and their lives now are out of control. Out of control. I even had a boy come up to me and said, I wish my parents disciplined me like yours did. He punched his mum one day, this kid. Watched him punch him. You know what I did? I punched him. I nailed him. I, I, I couldn't stand stuff like that. He punched his mum and ran off, and I ran in the woods after him, and I gave him a hiding. And you know what that lady said to my mum? What would you have done? She said, well, first and foremost, Philip would have never lifted his hand to me. And she said, secondly, if he'd have lifted his hand, and even before it hit me, she said, I'd have knocked him off his feet so fast. He would have, he would have already missed the weekend and been in next week. Come on, discipline your children. Be on the same page with discipline. Because if not, kids will play you against each other too. If you disagree with the discipline of what teachers are trying to do, you've got to respect authority too. Kelly and I, if we disagree with how our teachers have disciplined our children, you know what we say? Do your work. Do the punishment. And then we'll say, we'll call up and say to the teacher, hey, we need to have a chat. We're not undermining their authority. I'm going to talk to the teacher face to face. But in my kids' eyes, you're going to respect that. Whether it's right or not, you're going to do it because if they've told you they're in authority and they're over you. Come on, discipline your children. Discipline your children. Come on, say with me, don't let the world name your kids. Point number three, are you ready? Involvement. Be involved in their lives. Come on, it's not another person's responsibility to raise your kids. Psalms 127 verse 3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Notice their inheritance. They're an inheritance that God has given to you. If you have an inheritance when you die, that means you're getting some money. Hopefully. How would you like when those people die and your inheritance is to come to you that all of a sudden it doesn't come because everyone else has taken it? You would be upset, wouldn't you? You've got to realize children are an inheritance for you. They are what God has given. Here's the picture. They are God's children that he has entrusted you to raise them for him. So you are raising God's children. They're your children. They're your responsibility. You may say, well, listen, I didn't want my kids. Well, you should have thought of that because you were the one that... Okay, let's just stop right there. You know what you're doing. You know where kids come from. Come on, you ain't stupid. Best birth control is still a Skittle, Miss D. Best birth control is a Skittle. Put it between your knees, ladies, and you will never have a child. Watch what you do. Can be shot down for that one. I'm going to be disciplined promptly by my wife for that one. But they're an inheritance. I know this is said earlier, but you know what? I've got to say it again. Having a child does, only makes you a mother and father. It doesn't make you a parent. Parenting is something that needs to be earned. It's not something that's just given. You've got to be involved. You've got to take responsibility seriously. Listen to me, parents. Don't bankrupt yourself out of your homes that when you come home, you have nothing left to give to your families. Now, I didn't say don't work hard at work. I said do that. But don't give everything that you've got out there that when you come home, I'm too tired. I can't do nothing. I can't be there for you. I'm going to say this also. Involvement is not buying gifts. Come on. Gifts don't replace time and involvement. 
They may pacify, but they will never meet the deepest needs. Come on, children need to be loved. Children need to be nurtured. Children need your time. They need you, especially young girls and ladies. Guys, you'll grow up to realize this when a lady talks to you. They want to see you. They want FaceTime. Little girls want FaceTime with daddy. They want to see you. They want to be with you. They want to interact with you. And all those things don't come through stuff. They come through you. Be involved with your kids. When's the last time you sat down for a meal together? When's the last time you just did something fun all together? Maybe threw a football or played baseball or you just sat down and talked. Playing baseball in our house is not always the funnest thing. Our kids are so competitive and they can't stand it. The older kids cannot stand it when every time we play a sport that Kelly and I always beat them. We cannot help that we are so athletic that just things happen. They don't want the little kids. You know how it was at school? No, you can just have them. You know, the older kids say, we don't want them. You can just have them. So Kelly and I take Luke and Molly and we whoop their tails every time. You should have been at some of our softball games. I walked off the field one day. But when's the last time you sat down and interacted together? And listen to this, minus the cell phones and texting and Facebook and Instagram and all those things. Get rid of the distractions. And I'm not just talking from the kids. I'm talking from the parents too. Come on, if you don't get involved, T-W-N-Y-K, the world's going to name your kids. Don't let the world name your kids. I'm almost done today. Will you give me five more minutes? Who will give me five more minutes? Thank you. 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40. Fantastic. We've got about an hour and a half to go. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Number four, you ready? And we're going to go into this, I think, towards the end of the year as a series. We're going to do a whole month on some of these things, on parenting, because I think it's so important. And we're going to have some workshops, and we're going to do some things that's going to be awesome for you all. And so number four, be the protector. Protect your kids. In Nehemiah 4, verse 14, it says, Do not be afraid of them. Nehemiah is standing. He's addressing the children of Israel. He says, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, that he's great and awesome. And fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. I haven't got time to go into it, but when this was written, the Israelites had been exiled from their land. Some had returned back to the land, but the walls of Jerusalem were destroyed. And as a result of the walls destroyed, anything they built or anything they grew, anything they did, the enemy just came straight in and attacked them and took from them and destroyed them. So Nehemiah goes, he gets the word of the Lord. He goes and he begins to rebuild the walls. But while they're rebuilding, the people faced physical and verbal persecution from their enemies. And little by little, the Bible says they were losing hearts. So Nehemiah made a drastic move to ensure the completion of the walls. He reminded them what they were building for and ultimately what they were fighting for. And he said, remember first and foremost, God. But then the next thing he says is, remember your children and remember your families. As he began to say that, there was a new hope that came into those people as they realized they weren't just building a wall, they were protecting their families. They began to realize there was a new mandate and all of a sudden that rock that used to be too heavy to lift now was easily lifted. Why? Because I'm doing this to protect 
my families. Come on, we've heard reports after reports about mothers and parents whose supernatural strength came upon them. Say a a child was trapped under a car and the adrenaline came in and superhuman strength as they picked up a car so a child would be... Those things, you know, they don't just happen. It happens because there's a need. It happens, why? Because God has placed inside of us the, the, the thought that we need to protect our families and be there. We cannot stand the fact of seeing our children suffer. Come on, we need to be protecting our families. God has called us to protect our families. And this is not just from intruders like a burglar, but it's from the greatest enemy of all to protect them against the powers of darkness. Let me give you six powerful influences that we must monitor and guard in our children's lives. Each can greatly impact their thinking and the decisions. Come on, as the protector, here's what we need to protect them from. Number one, their friends. Come on, what friends are your kids hanging around with? If you say to me today, I don't know, you better find out. Because your friends are going to define your kids if you don't watch. You've got to watch the friends. Kelly and I have told our kids many times, you know what, we don't want you to hang around with them. You be nice to them, but don't hang around. But you've also got to explain this to Luke, and don't tell him that, please, too. Because Luke would say, up to him, my mum doesn't want me to be your friend. But you know what? There are some kids that you don't, we don't treat our kids to not be kind to them and not be nice. We say to them, you smile and you talk to them, be polite. But you know what? We don't want you next to them in the line. Come on, we don't want you hanging around with them at recess. If the teacher puts you to beside them, then that's fine. But by your choice, you need to stay away from them. Come on, you've got to watch their friends. Are you ready? Number two, you've got to watch their education. What are they doing? in school? What are they being taught in school? Come on, there's some stuff that they've been taught in school that some of you as parents need to step in and say, hold on a second. Number three, their music. Watch what they listen to. Today, music is so readily available that they can download so much stuff so easily at a touch of a button. You've got to watch Put controls on those things. Watch what they're listening to because what they feed into them, they're going to be a product of it. Come on. Garbage in, garbage out. Junk in, junk out. Good stuff in. Paul says these words whatsoever. Things are pure, lovely, good. If you think on those things, guess what? The peace of God's going to come. There's blessing that's going to come. Number four, you've got to watch the movies and the TV shows that they're watching. Some, I'll even go further to say this. You've even got to watch now some adverts or some commercials that are on TV. It's horrific now what they're putting on. You've got to watch these things. Just because it's the most popular show at school and everyone else is watching it, sorry, we're not going to watch that in this house. Come on, watch the movies and the TV shows. We could talk on that for weeks. Number five, watch the internet and everything that goes along with the internet. Facebook, Instagram, all these things. Incredible tools but yet also incredible opportunities for Satan to infiltrate their lives and give them a name. And last but not least, watch the video games. A lot of these video games now are so graphic and so lifelike and so real and the abuse and the language and, and the gore and everything that's on these things. You've got to watch these things. Here's what you need to teach your children. And please believe me, Kelly and I today are standing before you saying that we're not perfect in everything we do. We're asking God every day to help us to be better parents. And to the best of our ability, we're doing what we can. But here's what we need to teach our children, and we need to live by ourselves. We need to ask ourselves this question and teach our children to ask themselves this question. Is what I'm doing honoring to God? 
Is this honouring God? Is this honouring to God? Is this bringing my relationship closer to God or is it tearing me away? Is this helping my life? Is this increasing my life or is it destroying my life? Come on, we've got to protect our kids because if we don't, the world's going to name our kids and steal their identity. And last but not least, I'm really almost done. Lastly, today, we need to be providers. We need to be the providers for our home. I'm going to read a scripture today that's going to knock some of you on your back. But don't look at me. Look up to God. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and he is worse than an unbeliever. If anyone has not provided for his own home, he's denied the principles of God. In other words, he's living in rebellion to God. You can paint whatever picture you want, but the truth is this. You're living in rebellion to the word of God. Let me say that one more time. You're living in rebellion to the word of God. And rebellion against God's word means what? Separation from God. We've got to be provider. And when we talk about being providers, we're not just talking about financially. That's part of it. And I believe as men, we should be out providing for our homes. That we should be the ones that's the breadwinners that are out there providing for our homes. A man's place is not to sit at home and do nothing. God put a a drive in man that you need to rediscover again if you've lost or never had it. God will give it back to you. But no matter what, we've got to take care of every need of our home. You've got to do whatever it takes. You've got to have an, whatever it takes me- mentality to take care of your own. To fail to do that, we just read, means that we fail to live up to the principles of the faith that we p- profess. And it makes us worse than those who perhaps don't know better. We know better in here. We know better because we've been taught better in here. And here's the ways that we must provide for our families. Let me give you a list again. We need to, must provide the physical necessities. Financially, that we must supply, supply for them and be there for them. The second thing is we need to supply for them a spiritual example. The third thing is we need to provide boundaries and guidelines for their life. The fourth thing, we must provide emotional love and affection. We must provide clear direction. We must provide prayer and counsel. Look at those things. Every one of those are so vitally important. You may look and say, Pastor, I'm good on this, but not so good on that. Come on, it's time that we get good on all of these things because God has called us to be, yes, the protector, but to be the provider for our homes. I'm sure there's room for improvement in every one of us, so therefore improve we must. Because if we don't improve, the world wants to name our kids. Come on, don't let the world name your kids. Come on, don't let the world name your kids. Can you go back to that last slide? Some people were writing those down so they can get those. Don't let the world, you can just leave that up there. Don't let the world name your kids. I was going to write a direct TV commercial for this. Have you seen those commercials on TV that if you do this, then you're going to do this. And don't sell your hair to a wig shop. If you don't do all these things, Pete, don't sell your hair anymore to a wig shop. But I'm telling you right now, if you don't guide your families, if you don't discipline your children, if you're not involved in their lives, 
If you're not the one that's protecting them, if you're not the one who's providing for them, I'm telling you right now, the world's going to name you kids. Don't let the world name you kids. Ichabod, for the rest of his life, had to live with that name. Everywhere he went, it was a name that carried the title, There's No Hope. But the reason he had to carry that name is because God was gone and the parent was gone. I'm telling you right now, God's here. The only one we're waiting for is the parent. It's you. One last scripture and then I'll close. First Peter 5 verse 8 it says, Be sober and be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's your family. That's your family. Satan seeking to devour your family, your children, to take your inheritance from you. And you know what the Word of God says? Here's how you fight. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Come on, D-L-T-W-N-Y-K. Don't let the world name your kids. How do I do that? I've got to resist him steadfast in what? In an immovable faith. It has to first start in my life as a parent. Come on, it all begins and ends with relationship, my relationship with God. The way I stand in opposition to the devil that wants to devour my family is I've got to be steadfast in the faith. I've got to have a relationship with God. I need to be built in the house of God. That's what Pastor Dino said. When he came here two years ago, well, the reason I love churches, and he gave a list, but he said one of the things is it teaches me how to be a parent because I can be around other godly parents and see the example of what I need to do. Come on today, if you don't name your kids, the world will. And what, your world, what the world is going to name your kids, I'm telling you, is not what God designed for your kids. It's not what he has. As parents, as mothers, as fathers, as parents, we need to start speaking the definition for our children, define the pathway for their lives, lay the tracks that God would move. Do I hear an amen? When you stand to your feet. We'd like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.